Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Chris Ludke. Listeners, scholars, brothers, this is Brother Chris Lickie, and today I want to explore the five orders of architecture. And you're saying, well, why are you exploring the five orders of architecture again? Well, I came across a really interesting idea about interpreting the five orders of architecture that is not the same as what I had presented previously in the first season. So I want to look at that. Because I like looking at different interpretations. This is never a question of right or wrong. It's a question of taking new ideas, using dialectic to take those new ideas, consider them, apply logic to them, and then synthesize them into your own, thus growing and becoming a better person. And I'm taking this from a book called Practical Freemasonry, Accessible Philosophy for Working Class Schlubs, fantastic book, by the way. It's by Matt Gallagher. It's available on Amazon. And it's great. It goes through the working tools and a lot of the ideas that we teach in our lessons, lays them out in an in-depth way, talking, you know, attaching it to philosophy and other ideas, as we'll see, but does so in a language that is clear, concise, and without jargon, which is fantastic. So I'm going to read from this uh, and we'll go from there. The Five Orders of Architecture. If there's one thing that doesn't get enough attention in Freemasonry, it's the benefit of dry, repetitive memory work. A couple of years ago, in a haughty attempt to learn the Middle Chamber Lecture, I, Matt Gallagher, the author, recorded myself reading the non-secretive bits and would play them back to myself on walks. After about the 42nd replay of the same section, some interesting things came to me about the Five Orders, a section that always confused me in the past. Most things in the middle chamber lecture make a kind of obvious sense. Learn the seven liberal arts and sciences if you want to be educated. The five senses are miracles. The human eye, which Warren Ellis once described as a full-color 3D camera with a panoramic peripheral lens using only jelly and water, is so non-random and useful, it just might support the concept of intelligent design. But then there's the other bit in there, about the five orders of architecture. I get that our philosophy is built around the metaphor of architecture, so it's a good idea to toss it in the lectures somewhere. But we spend a suspicious amount of time describing these things, and the why, why, why do that? I had two thoughts. The first was about our, quote, several stations in life from the Plum Education. It seems to me that these pillars, the Tuscan, Doric, Ionic, Corinthian, and Composite, perfectly reflected man's narrative path through life. The Tuscan, being plain and unadorned, is man as a child. He is in his simplest and most pure form. The Doric, having been modeled off the figure of a strong, robust man, represents a young man in the prime of his life. This is a time, historically, when young men would go to war, learn the related arts involved, as well as start out in their chosen profession. To me, it symbolizes a young man, just out of school and ready to explore adulthood. The Ionic, 
based on the form of a woman represents partnership and marriage when a man decides to settle down and look towards the future, building a life with his partner. The Corinthian, a masterpiece of art, represents man's ultimate goal to fulfill his, his purpose in life and create his own masterwork. A man in his late 30s and 40s is usually a man over the insecure parts of his life. He knows his talents, knows his job, and has gathered the resources and, if he is brave enough, answers the call to realize his authentic self. The composite, a combination of the Corinthian and the Ionic, represents the child, a combination of the mother and father, that final elixir with which a man returns home to his own hero's journey. That gift he gives the world is his child to grab the baton, carry on, and continue to improve the world. As a man who wishes to be moral and upstanding, the plum instructs us that we must be moral in all of these different epochs of our life. Deathbed confessions cannot make up for a lifetime of immorality. Crooked business dealings are not balanced out by being a great dad. Again, though, how do we be moral? How do we know how to do the right thing? An answer may be found in my second thought on the orders. One thing about Freemasonry I learned pretty early on, as mentioned in the Fellowcraft degree, is that when Masons use the word Freemasonry, they mean geometry. And when they say geometry, they mean morality. And from these lessons, from the lessons of the common gamble, we know that a stone is a metaphor for ourselves or immortal soul, and that a building is essentially a divine plan, but also a social structure, and how we fit into it, creating sort of a single harmonious being. The order section begins in the following way. By order and architecture is meant a system of all the members, proportions, and ornaments of columns and pilasters, or it is the regular arrangement of the projecting parts of a building, which united with those of a column, form a beautiful, perfect, and complete whole. Let's translate the symbolism of this. So he's, as an aside, he's rewriting this in terms of morality, so taking architecture and geometry and sort of altering it for morality. Back to Gallagher. Let's translate the symbolism of this. By ordering morality is meant a system of all the reason, ethics, and virtues of a moral school, or is a regular arrangement of the self or society which united with a school of morality form a beautiful, perfect, and complete whole. If you accept this translation, let's say for a second that you do, then what it's saying is that you can't be expected to support yourself or society unless it's grounded in a logical, reasonable system of morality. Things like, quote, it's my truth, or, quote, I do what feels right in my heart. Don't cut it. And are the architectural equivalent of building a castle on a swamp. Freemasonry makes no secret of the fact that you should get your sense of morality from your deity and religion. But anyone who's ever had a problem knows that while religion certainly provides a font of wisdom and guidance, it has a hard time addressing specific problems. So, I contend that while Freemasonry has no official opinion on the nature of right and wrong, except that there is such a thing as right and wrong, Freemasonry does have an opinion on what philosophical schools are best at getting you there. And that, these are spelled out in the Five Orders of Architecture. 
To refresh your memory, the five orders are the Tuscan, the Doric, the Ionic, the Corinthian, and the Composite. And while all five are described in Freemasonry, is the middle three those first created by the Greeks, the Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian, rather than the Roman columns, the Tuscan, and the Composite, that Masons most revere. The rationale for this is that the Greek columns were original, unique works, whereas the Roman columns were derived from the Greeks, those copycats. Hence, quote, it is to the Greeks and not the Romans we are indebted for what is great, judicious, and distinct in architecture, end quote. That's some mean shade being thrown on the Romans, but why is this point even made? Possibly because the orders of architecture bear a striking similarity to the five predominant schools of Western philosophy. The Tuscan represents the philosophy of Roman Stoicism. Originating in Greece, Stoicism was most popular in Rome and famously practiced by Marcus Aurelius. As a philosopher, it's not un- as a philosophy, excuse me, it's not unlike Buddhism. Believing that the secret to a good and happy life is to curb your desires, live a simple life of tranquility, and be happy with what you have. This parallels nicely with the Tuscan, which is meant to be a modest column for solemn buildings where ornamentation would be superfluous, and like Roman Stoicism, was derived from Greek works, namely the Doric, and presented in its simplest form. There are a lot of personal benefits to approaching the world with a Stoic view. The less you care about hot-button issues, like politics, for instance, the less stress you will feel and the more friends you will keep on social media. Now, take note. Caring about something less does not mean being less concerned about an issue. Being concerned means you are paying attention to something and that you're seeking a solution that improves the situation. Caring, in this sense, is about investing your ego or your sense of self in an issue. If you view yourself as strongly pro-life, for instance, pro-choice arguments will be absorbed not as a different idea, but as an attack on your very identity. And an attack on your identity will be registered by your instinctive brain as an attack on your life. This will cause you to reject any opposing view as offensive to both you and your life, and clutch to any aligning view as a shield, no matter how paper-thin it might be. Being able to detach yourself from your beliefs and recognize that you and your ideas are two separate things, the latter of which can be changed when necessary, will not only keep your anxiety down, but will better enable you to reason and solve problems. The Doric represents the original philosophy of Greek Stoicism and can be viewed similarly to other Greek philosophies of the time, like skepticism and cynicism which we could throw in under the umbrella of the Doric, in that it didn't strive to improve through changing man's nature or discovering the unknown. It accepted the world as it is, and believed the unhappiness only came about when reality crashes headlong into surprise. It was thus the duty of the Stoic to remain strong, accept life for what it is rather than what you want it to be, and press on. It's a philosophy that's neatly summed up by Churchill when he said, quote, If you're going through hell, keep going. End quote. Man, the Stoics believed, had the inner strength to overcome their troubles, adhering to the logos or divine structure which connects all people, through the adherence to four cardinal virtues wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. 
Man cannot improve the world. Man can improve himself, and that will improve the world. By the way, this should all sound very, very familiar Masonically. The parallel to the dork, the best proportioned and sturdiest of the orders, modeled off the form of a robust male are obvious. What is the difference between Roman and Greek Stoicism, and why should we follow the Greek? I don't mean to say that we must cast aside Marcus and his friends to the philosophical trash heap. Roman society was much more community-based, being a rather large empire with a complex political structure. The needs the need to work together as one harmonious unit is reflected in their philosophy. Greek philosophy seems to lean more toward rugged individualism, whereas Roman Stoicism focuses on the what, Greek Stoicism focuses on the why. What do you want for your life depends on your needs and tastes, but the why is something that interests most philosophical Masons. The Corinthian most closely aligns with the Epicurean school, which posits that the best things in life are those that bring the most pleasure. This is not meant in the hedonistic sense, rather a utilitarian one, in which costs and benefits are weighed and the right is that which creates the highest amount of overall happiness. As beauty is dependent on its evoking, excuse me here, evoking and uplifting joy, the parallel is obvious. In modern times, this is called utilitarianism. Making choices for the greater good of the majority is why Spock sacrifices himself to save the Enterprise in Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. It's why Gandalf took the leap in Fellowship of the Rings, and Obi-Wan took a dive on Death Star so Luke and company could get away. Utilitarianism doesn't always mean someone has to die, of course. Sharing a pizza instead of wolfing down every slice holed up in the bathroom, even if that's what you really, really want to do, is a form of utilitarianism. It's not always fun, and practitioners are prone to martyrdom. But it's usually pretty defensible. Bringing happiness and satisfaction is a great thing. The composite aligns well with the philosophy of Via Romagna, or the Roman way, a constructed school of philosophy popular in late Rome. It was not so much a school of reason as it was a declaration that certain values are superior and should be sought. As the composite is an amalgam of previous orders, so too is Via Romagna, an amalgam or conclusion of previous schools of philosophy. In a sense, Via Romagna can still be found in modern times. For example, the 12 points of scout law of being trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent, or any other system typically taught to children that clearly spells out the way that we should be, can be viewed as Via Romagna. Through Via Romagna was consider though Via Romagna was considerably more robust. Via Romagna consists of 15 personal virtues: spiritual authority, humor, mercy, dignity, tenacity, frugalness, gravity, respectability, humanity, industriousness, dutifulness, prudence, wholesomeness, sternness, and truthfulness. And 26 public virtues of a society, which are abundance, equity, remembrance, clemency, concord, happiness, confidence, fortune, spirit of Rome, parentheses, think the American way, mirth, justice, joy, liberality, 
freedom, nobility, wealth, endurance, peace, piety, province, modesty, safety, security, hope, fertility, and courage. Wow, that's a lot. But let's face it, thinking is hard, especially when it's accompanied by worrying and anxiety. Human beings are, frankly, not well equipped to reason their way into good choices. You may not have the time and attention to work out why being loyal is better than being only out for number one, or why obedience is better than independence. These can be hard thoughts, but to align yourself to a code because you know those who live by that code are great people and seem reasonably well off is frankly good enough. Because in the end, it's less important that you have good thoughts and intentions and more important that you do good. The Ionic, which I purposefully saved for last, is described specifically as a mean order between Doric and Corinthian. This can be viewed as representing Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics, also known as virtue ethics, which demonstrates that the ideal action is that which is derived from the medium virtue of two vices. For instance, courage is defined or is the median between foolhardiness and cowardness. Cowardice. Freemasonry says, quote, It is to the Greeks and not the Romans, whom we are indebted for everything good and judicious in life. Thus, it is to the Greek schools and not the Romans to which we are indebted for our reason and ethics. As unlike Stoicism via Romagna, which were more like ways of living, the Greek schools were a process of reason. Freemasonry is founded on a belief that goodness is a matter of circumspection and practice. There's no magical system or secret that levels you up. Rather, a constant reminder to yourself to think about why the things that you do are good, true, wise, and promote beauty. The conclusion I draw from this is that goodness is not just a matter of accepting what you cannot change or having specific principles or direction you receive from a book or an authority. Being what others want you to be rather than your naturally greedy, selfish selves is a great direction for a child, but as a man you should go deeper. You need to think about the why. You need systems to guide you. You need a methodology so you can be assured that your choices are not just manifestations of your selfish desires, but are rooted in reason and take account of observable realities and consider the needs of the many. So again, I'm reading that, or I read that, from Practical Freemasonry, Accessible Philosophy for Working Class Clubs by Matt Gallagher. And it's really interesting the way he looks at looking at the five orders of architecture, not uh, in, in a very different way than I did, and looking at them as sort of the ages of man, the epics of man, as they age, these different stages of life, but also as philosophies, which would explain why we're constantly taking the Romans and saying, look at the Romans! Ignore them. They borrow everything. They differ, but accidentally. So it's an interesting view. And it's a very Prestonian view in, in the way that I'm reading it. It's a sort of thing that we would expect Preston to hide within his lectures, uh, as well as some of the other early Masonic writers. It's one of those, as you peel away the onion, it gets more interesting. And again, the reason that I'm bringing this up, these interpretations, they're very different than what I presented. But the interpretations are there to get us thinking. 
to get us considering these specific topics. Education is never about giving someone specific information and making them memorize it. Education should be about teaching you how to think and giving you different perspectives so that you can work out which one works for you. So that you learn how to look at these various ideas and come up with your own. It's a process. And that's the beauty of interpretation. This is a fantastic book if you get a chance. Uh, It is available on Amazon and elsewhere. And I may read from it for another episode. Otherwise, thank you for joining me, brother Chris Lickie, and the entire Further Light team on your quest to find more light through masonry. Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org to learn more about masonry and access further educational content and more light. Once again, that address is wimasons.org. Any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wisconsinmasons.org. And thank you for listening.